Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the winningly young, ramblingly hip, and elitely lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. I loved that elitely lay. That was good. Yeah, thank you. I came up with that. You get it? Because you guys are in the elite day. (laughs) And Olga Segura. Hi, guys. Uh, so how are we doing? It's We're, good. It's a good time to be on yeah. campus. Is there something going Zach, on? Really? Are you you good? <laughs> That's great. We we had a bit of a struggle getting here. We had to go to LaGuardia. Our flights were canceled. The snow canceled our flight, but we made it here and we made, we, it. we made it. We're excited to be with you guys. So thank you for taking time out of your day to hang with us and move up. You guys don't have to be all the way yeah. back. Like there are you Catholic? <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so we are very excited to be with you guys. Uh, and you might have noticed, uh, often over drinks, that is a part of the show, that <laughs> during Lent we drop, but, you know, usually we enjoy some libations over our recordings. Yes. <laughs> right now, just water. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, who are we talking to this week, Olga? So today we are talking with someone that you guys might have heard of. He is Father James Martin. He's an editor-at-large at America, and he is the host of the Examine podcast and author of Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and the LGBT Community Can Enter into a Relationship of Respect, Compassion, and Sensitivity. So because it's Lent, we're going to be talking to Jim about prayer and how to kind of keep it going when you feel burned out. So stay tuned for that. Yes. It is the dog days of Lent, as they say. (laughs) Um, And then for today, we're going to also have some time for Q&A to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, what it's like being Catholic after college or uh, what's going on in the Vatican or how do you make a podcast? Um, We're still figuring that one out. (laughs) Um, but it, before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you so much to Loyola, to the Hank Center, mm-hmm. um, to Dr. Murphy. Uh, this is this really is like a dream come true for me to be back on campus. So I'm yeah. so grateful to everyone who helped make this happen. He has not stopped smiling. So yeah. <laughs> First, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Uh, so this week marked, well, I guess last week. Last week. <laughs> was five years of Pope Francis. Um, do you guys remember where you were when he was elected Pope? I do. I was a student at Loyola Chicago. <laughs> you don't say. Uh, classes were canceled for the week. That's not true. Um, no, no. With a Jesuit Pope, you got to pull out all the stops. What about you, Ashley? Where were you? Uh, so at that point, I was not at America Media yet. I was working at George Washington University, and my colleagues were alternatively uh, two atheists, and my boss was a Jewish man. And so they were all just like, Ashley, what is going on? And I'm just like, I don't know. You're watching a chimney. <laughs> There's smoke. I'm not really sure what Jesuits are. It sounds sinister. <laughs> Um, I was actually at America. Um, I it was a little bit over my, I had been there for about a year and I was actually with Jim and a bunch of the other Jesuits that we worked with. We crept in, we like went upstairs to this like dingy room and just watched it. So I was surrounded by Jesuits. I think I was the only lay person in that room. So <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Um, but yeah, so it's been five years. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a pretty momentous papacy so far yep. to say the least some would say this week the vatican unleashed uh statistics about pope francis's first five years um so we're just going to give you a rundown of pope francis by the numbers 
Um, in his five years, he's created 61 new Cardinals, including Cardinal Supich here in Chicago. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's led 219 general audiences. And uh, I don't know if you've been to one. When I studied at the Rome Center here, we got to go to some audiences. They're crazy. People go nuts at these things. Um, it, there's so much energy. Did you get to uh, see the Pope I up did, close? I did. I uh, actually climbed up one of the barriers and I gave Pope Francis a high five at one of oh those audiences. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, he's also issued 41 major documents, including the encyclicals Laudato Si and the, one of the exhortations, Amoris Letizia, or the Joy of Love, where he talked a little bit about what it means to be in a contemporary family in the world. He has completed 22 trips abroad, going 150,000 miles around the world. That's six times for those keeping score at home. And he's called four synods, of bishop, synods on the bishop, two on the family. Well, technically two, but there's four meetings. Uh, Two on the fam- or one on the family, and then this year's synod on young people, and then there's synod on the Amazon happening after that one. Yes, we're still waiting on our invitation to the synod on young people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I've been fishing for it for a long time. He, he, he really, really has. Um, but clearly, there's a lot to talk about. He has been the Pope for a little over five years. So, what are some of the moments that have stood out to you guys, uh, Zach? I think for me, the, the one of the defining moments was when uh, Evangelii Gaudium was released. Um, I remember being in my theology capstone here and sort of reading it and being really moved in a way that like papal documents don't normally move me. <laughs> um, you know, we had sort of reached a point in the culture where uh, we felt besieged by modern culture, by secularism. Um, and Francis sort of looked that straight in the face and he called for a new way of being church, uh, come out of the fortress mentality, you know, bring the joy out to other people. Um, and I think it's like, I should re- reread it like once a year just to like remind myself like ha- what Francis's agenda is. And I think, yeah, that, that's probably yeah. it for me. No, I, I was working at America Media by that point. Um, and it was my job to do social media. So I was had to do tweets. And the, there were so many lines in that encyclical that were just like tweetable lines, which is not what we're used to when it comes yeah, to people documents. Vote, yeah. But like my one of my favorites, which is like appropriate right now, as he said, we can't be... Uh, so many people look like Christians with Lent without Easter, like, mm-hmm. and called people sour pusses. And it was just like this very jarring language in a good way uh, to hear from a pope. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I think, like Zach, I was also extremely moved by the joy of love, uh, the Amor Satitia. And I think. It, he really changed the way that I think about relationships. I think as millennials, we it, it's very easy for us to become conditioned by what we see in media, what we see on television, the way like our romantic relationships, or our relationships in our families are supposed to look. Um, and just kind of reading that document as a 28-year-old who is in a relationship with a fellow Christian and just knowing that Pope Francis is like, hey, you're going to struggle and that's okay. It's not supposed to be perfect. And that that was really touching for me as a, as a millennial and as a Catholic, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the conversation gets, gets bogged down um, in like one footnote of that document, mm-hmm. um, and it's a sh- and it, it, it's important, but it is mm-hmm. a shame that like there's so much good stuff for mm-hmm. for young Catholics in particular, yeah. as you were saying. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and once again, like also just like really <laughs> unfamiliar papal language. Like he was he talked about he got so granular. He was like giving married people advice, like don't go to bed angry. I was mm-hmm. like waiting to read like. <laughs> Women, don't leave your hair in the shower. <laughs> like, <laughs> <so Francis. laughs> uh, yeah, so he really he has a very unique mm-hmm. way of speaking to the people, which I think a lot of us have found um, relatable. Um, my One of the standout moments for me is I got to uh, cover his trip to the United States for America Media um, 
and went down to D.C. and was in the garden of the White House when he met Barack Obama and then on the Capitol lawn when he spoke before Congress. And especially now, looking back, like, back then was not, like, great. Like, we had had our first government shutdown. It was very polarized, but, like, Compared to today, um, it's Something hard. happening today? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone's been fired today, but just in general, you know, there are these amazing images of Pope Francis with, you know, John Boehner and Joe Biden behind him, both standing together and clapping mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, and Pope Francis just gave this very positive view of politics that seems very foreign right now um, as, as an endeavor to work towards the common good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look back with that with a little bit of nostalgia. <laughs> and, you know, it hasn't all been good, right? So mm-hmm. we, so it's important to bring up, I think, we love this Pope, obviously, but it's also mm-hmm. important to, you know, be critical when we can be. And so yeah. one of the areas, you know, where there's been some real struggles, I think, mm-hmm. is his ability to address sex abuse in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so he was recently uh, in Chile where there's a a priest who's a known uh, offender um, and he had a very hard time talking about it and talking about holding bishops accountable, which I think is something that a lot of people are still hungry for. We have, you know, put in mechanisms to prevent abuse in the future, but there are a lot of people who are angry and hurt and who would like to see bishops um, held Mm -hmm. to account. Yeah, and it was especially hurtful because he used very hurtful language, you know, when he accused survivors of slander and said that you know you we need to wait for evidence to be presented we can't just act on these emotions and it's like if you're someone who has suffered through this yeah. you that's not what you want your pope to hear so it's this is something that rightly so he has faced a lot of criticism in recent months you know mm-hmm. and it sounds like he, he you know he talks all the time about being a listening church mm-hmm. and there have been moments where you get the sense that i think he is hearing some of the criticism and responding so he he did send a special uh, investigator to mm-hmm. to go down to Chile yeah. and yeah. listen to victims mm-hmm. um, and hear their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess we stay tuned on that for now. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things also has been his outreach to young people. Besides us. Besides <laughs> us. Yeah. <we're>, yeah. He, <laughs> he recently had um, a meeting at the Vatican where he met with what was it about three hundred young people from all over the world and spoke to them face to face. And he's this is gearing up for the synod happening in October, correct? Yeah. And yeah. I think it's. It's essential because uh, if you look at the statistics, they're uh, they're alarming as far mm-hmm. as like where young Catholics are going, where they're not going, um, and it's a crisis, especially in the West. I think like I think the old assumption was you know people will leave, but they'll come back you know when they're ready for marriage, yeah. when they're ready to raise a family, um, and right now the statistics don't bear that out. They're not coming back. Um, and so to, it's, it's important to be able to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see what comes out of that synod. Yeah, same. And on that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring on our guest, who I think maybe more than most people in the United States in the church are helping to bring young people back um, by his pastoral ministry. So welcoming to the stage, James Martin, Father James Martin. <laughs> Yeah, so just to give a quick introduction for those who might not be familiar, every week on our show we feature someone who offers a unique perspective on faith, culture, the news, Um, and this week we've got Father James Martin, who is talented in so many ways, but one of the things we're interested in talking to you about is you started the Examine podcast uh, at America Media, and this has been something that you've been wanting to do for quite some time, correct? 
Yeah, so the examine is a, a daily prayer that helps you review your day and see where God is. And um, for a long time, um, I recognized that people are find it easier to do it once they're guided through it. And so um, I thought it'd be great to do, but we just never got around it. And now that we have this you know, beautiful new office and beautiful new studio and people who can record things, we have it. And the first week, I think it was the third most popular. Yeah, it was beating This American Life on mm-hmm. iTunes. <laughs> Like on like all podcasts, so there's, but no, I mean there, there, there's clearly a, a hunger among people for you know something to help them find God in their lives. So I'm really happy we're doing it. So so could you just briefly walk through what are some of these steps of the examine? Yeah, sure. So uh, the examine has, depending on how you do it, uh, usually several steps. First, you put yourself in the presence of God to remind yourself that it's not just a you know a monologue; it's a conversation. Second, you call to mind things that you're grateful for in the day, right? Like just simple things like, you know, the Ramblers won last night. Um, <laughs> maybe not so simple. Uh, you know, it's sunny outside. Uh, you, you got a call from a friend and you sort of savor them and thank God for them. So you start with gratitude. And then you move on to a review of the day. So you start from the beginning of the day, like getting up and you sort of see where God is all the way throughout your day uh, till the end of the day, till nighttime. Uh, then you sort of uh, think about sorrow, things that you've uh, done that are wrong. I mean, we're not, assuming that Jesus or the Blessed Mother is not in the audience, there's none of us that aren't sinful. So we think about our sins and ask God for forgiveness. I like to you, skip that part. You skip that part, yeah. yeah. Well, of course, of course, being the sinless one that right. you are, Zach. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, having studied theology, of course, you're yeah. sinless. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then you end with a, a prayer for grace for the next day. So it's basically those five steps. And it, it's really only like 15 minutes at the end of the day. And it really helps to kind of jumpstart your spiritual life and help you to find where God is really, really easily. Yeah. So you mentioned that, um, you know, this was very popular when it came out. And I know for a while you've been wanting to do this. So where do you, where do, why did you want to do it? And why do you think there's such a hunger for, for, you know, because you can, exp- I haven't examined prayer card from you. So what is it that is unique about a podcast? That's a great question. Um, the reason I really wanted to do it was because I really think people are hungry for uh, basic spirituality. You know, I mean, you know, all of us have theological education. A lot of people in the room do. But I think just simple stuff, you know, who is Jesus? Uh, how do we pray? You know, who is God for you? So to really um, sp- uh, sort of fill that need or sort of respond to that need. Uh, and, you know, the other thing, Ashley, is that I found that when I have guided people through it, it's so much easier for them. And when I'm guided through it, you know, when someone leads me through kind of a guided meditation, like if you're on a retreat or something, it's just easier. A lot of people tell me, oh, I forget the steps, right? Or, (laughs) you know, like that card that I hand out, it's like, oh, I have to close my eyes and I have to keep opening it because I forget. So the, the idea of this exam, which is like, I think 15, 17 minutes with music, it's just easier to do. And you don't have to really think about it and remember the steps and, you know, and, and it's free, which is nice. As we Jesuits like to say, cheap is good, free is better. So Jim, so. Do, you, do you do it every single day? I am, I shouldn't say proud, but I'm happy to say that <laughs> since the day I entered the novitiate, I've not missed it. Really? What? Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, it's not that, that doesn't mean I do them well all the time. But. Is there an abbreviated version you can do? Like a... Well, yeah, there's there's the one you do before you fall asleep, like, and your head hits the pillow. Um, I had a Jesuit tell me, a Jesuit scholastic, a guy in training um, not long ago, say, I'm having trouble with the exam, and uh, I keep falling asleep. And I say, well, tell me how you do it. This is a true story. And he goes, I said, you know, maybe we can talk about the practice. And he goes, I just keep falling asleep. I said, well, what do you do? He goes, okay, well, um, you know, I asked God to be with me. I said, yeah. And he goes, then I get under the covers. (laughs) And I was like... Just a minute. <laughs> so I said, why do you sit up when you're doing it? 
No, I haven't met. I haven't missed yeah. it. It's you know, I mean, it should be fifteen twenty minutes. I sometimes zip through it, but I yeah. feel like I can't go to sleep until I thank God for the day, and so I don't go to sleep until I thank God for the day. So, do all Jesuits do this? Is this something? Where did this come from? Did uh, so it was did popularized Ign- by Saint Ignatius. We never like to say started because someone will always get in and say, "No, you know, was, look at this person in three twenty. Um, <laughs> popularized by Saint Ignatius, and um, he said that uh, of all the prayers, um, you know, in addition to the mass. That's the one that Jesuits should never omit. So that's how, that's how important he thought it was because, you know, for Jesuits, we're supposed to find God in our active lives, right? And, and it really, it's, it's super important. And I really, when my spiritual directees, people who come to me for direction, say, you know, I say, how's the examine going? If they say, oh, I haven't done it, I say, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's uh, go back to the drawing board. So I've talked about on the show before that I kind of have a podcast problem. So I was excited <laughs> to have a podcast version of the examine because I do, I tend to fall asleep to podcasts. Not, 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 Jesu- not Jesuitical. Not Jesuitical, no. <laughs> least, I don't listen to that. At least not when you're doing voice. it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so no, I found the guided part of it very helpful. And I love the reflections too. I, I don't know if you're going to keep doing that thanks. after Lent. Well, you know, that was, uh, that was thanks to Ashley and Eric Sundrup who came Eloise, up with, you mean. Uh, oh, sorry. Eloise and Eric Sundrup <laughs> who came no up credit. with the idea of, um, you know, having something changing. So it wasn't the same, you know, the same podcast every day. So we changed, we have reflections that are geared towards the liturgical cycle. Um, and, you know, it makes it, I think it just makes it more lively. Yeah, no, I, and it was, I think the second week of Lent, you, you quoted one of your professors Professors uh, James Keenan yes. about how how God doesn't get mad at weak and struggling people, but people who can't be bothered to love. And mm-hmm. I, it was just like a really great way to like look at your week, and you could find it was a it prompted you when you went into the next day to like look at places in your life on the subway and in work uh, with your family that you were just not bothered, not bothered to go the extra. Yeah, that's not a great insight. Yeah. I just mentioned that at Madonna that yeah. uh, that was Jim Keenan, as you said, sin for Jesus is often a failure to bother to love. Yeah, and I just like throwing that kind of stuff in and, you know, help me. So, you know, hopefully it'll help other people. Yeah. So wh- one of our Lenten practices was uh, we were all going to do the exam every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were trying it with this podcast. Um, and one of the first things I noticed, because I'd always wanted to do the examine and I'd always sort of shied away because I, I don't know for what So much reason. for your Jesuit education on the Chicago. I know. That's right. Um, go Ramblers. Go. <laughs> but uh, I was immediately, str- I, was, I think I was worried that I was going to get bogged down in all the the sorrowful, sinful stuff that I did. Uh-huh. But I thought you didn't sin. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, but I was just like shocked by how many things that like happen in, throughout the day that yeah. I'm grateful for yeah. that I don't normally give a second thought to. Yeah, because you know, and that's, that's great, Zach, because people, you know, all of us are pretty busy. We sort of go on to the next thing. We're either problem solvers, and if you say, what was your day like, you go to the problem, and you just move. It's like, okay, next, next, next. Um, I gave this uh, exam, and I did a guided meditation for a group of actors about 10 years ago, and one of the great lines that this actor said to me was, he, he was just being sincere. He said, he said, I never knew that my yesterday was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, yeah, we, we miss that stuff, and, and that's why Ignatius really wants to kind of ground you in that, because just like you say, we, we tend to go on, and you know, what kind of life would we have if we weren't grateful? So the examine does ground you in that. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've learned is that every time I go to God and I'm, I try to immerse myself in prayer, I complain a lot, and I'm just like, yeah. this isn't going right, God, how are you gonna help me? Like, why would you put me through this? And then doing this, I'm like, actually be thankful for once. Be grateful that you woke up this morning. Be grateful that you have a job. And that's something that's really stayed with me, like being grateful to God for everything in my life, which like you were saying, 
you miss so many beautiful things in your day when you're only focused on like all of the negative things that you that I often complain about. Exactly. You know, Olga, I went to my spiritual director once and I uh, was going through something difficult. I don't know what it was, but I forgot it. Thank God. And um, <laughs> he said, are you being honest with God in your prayer? And I said, yeah, like I'm complaining about this. And he said, well, then you're not being honest. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because you're not showing God the whole picture. You're only focusing on the negative. And really, honesty is to say that the honest look at your life is the realistic look at your life, which is to say it's pluses and minuses. And the examine, as you say, really does help give you an honest look at your life and, 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 and helps you communicate with God better. Uh, speaking of honesty, I, I have to admit that I <laughs> didn't keep up my, uh, what? my <laughs> consistent examine throughout what? Lent. You know, like many people, the first two weeks, I was going strong, doing it every night. <laughs> um, and then I kind of fell off. Uh, I could tell at work. <laughs> <laughs> we, I didn't want to say anything. Yeah. You're not doing the examine, are you? <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, yes. <laughs> so what, what advice do you have for people like me who they have the will, um, but just can't keep it up? Well, usually there's two ways that I approach that. One is to say, try doing it uh, for a shorter time period. You know, if you can't do it for 20 minutes, I always say, okay, try 10 minutes or try five minutes, you know, or try just gratitude, right? That's the positive way of doing it. The negative way of doing it is to say, <laughs> you know, how important is your relationship with God? Like, and, and I always, usually I'll say something like, do you go to the gym every day? Oh, I go to the gym every day. No. Or, no. Yeah, or, well, okay. <laughs> or do you, you know, you go online every day, you answer emails and it's like, why? Yeah. Well, that relationship, those relationships are important. And, and the negative way is to say, how important is your relationship with God? Does it deserve that kind of 10 minutes? So I respond well to negative <laughs> reinforcement. So thank you. <laughs> there you go. So, um, and to say, you know, if you, if you really say that your relationship with God is the most important thing or one of the most important things in your life, can't you give God 10 minutes? And usually that one, either the positive or the negative reinforcement usually uh, gets people over the hump. Yeah. All right, but then we'll you give, see how I'm doing. <laughs> that's right. I'll, I'll thing let is, you, know. you give God 10 minutes, all of a sudden he like, changes your life and then now you work at a Jesuit ministry and like <laughs> there you go that's right beware it's much more dangerous than just going to the gym and you know, you know and it's funny I think I think God also can work within those 10 minutes right I mean even mm -hmm. if you give God 10 minutes 5 minutes something can happen and that usually just increases your desire for more time with God so why do you think it is that people you know I, I don't think it's unique to Ashley that you know people struggle with maintaining consistency and fervor and falling away. What is it about prayer or the exam, maybe the exam specifically, but prayer in general that people have a hard yeah, time? Yeah, because it's not always exciting. I mean, it can yeah. be kind of blah sometimes and it feels like nothing's happening. But again, to compare it to a relationship, imagine you go out with like one of your friends and you know, you go out for a beer. Oh, I was just Moody's. I was very happy to see that Moody's is still around. Yes. Um, <laughs> you got to Moody's and it's like, you have like an okay time. Like your friend's like not in a good mood. You're not in a good mood. The, the food's not good. The fries aren't as great as I remember. And, um, <laughs> And you're, you're not going to say, I will never see that friend again, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's to say that, um, I hope you won't say that. Um, <laughs> it's to say that a relationship with God can have its ups and downs, and it doesn't always have to be exciting. And really, any time that you spend in God's presence is transformative. So I think people's expectations of prayer is that it's always going to be bells and whistles. Um, yeah. But even if you have like, you know, as you were saying, Olga, like just an insight, like, wow, I, I haven't spent that much time to gratitude. It's worthwhile. So, so to be okay with kind of dry times in prayer, I think is really essential. So Jim, how, how do you though, like, how do you maintain energy in prayer? Especially like you, you deal with a lot of negative responses with all the work that you do with LGBT activism. What? So <laughs> I know, that's right. Um, but how do you, 
keep yourself from getting totally burned out in moments like that, in moments like these? Yeah, you know, actually, um, this is a little kind of Jesuit spirituality. I have uh, sort of gotten to the point where I have a great, and this is a gift because I didn't really work for it, but uh, I, I have the, I found the grace of kind of indifference. I mean, I really, like the LGBT stuff that I'm doing, there's a lot of pushback online, and I realize I support from my Jesuit superiors, my Jesuit brothers, um, you know, people like you guys, lay Catholics, LGBT Catholics, you know, cardinals like Cardinal Supich. And after a while, I was like, how much like support do I need? <laughs> and the people online, you know, who are kind of, you know, really hateful and homophobic, like my, my mantra is, this is not the most uh, sort of sophisticated spiritual mantra, but my mantra has been, honestly, who cares, right? And who cares? So that's, that's kind of the grace of indifference. And it really doesn't bother me. Last night, we had a talk at... Um, uh, Holy Name Cathedral, we had 1,200 people. It was, you know, standing room only, and there were like 100 people outside protesting. What am I going to focus on? Now, that's a good thing for the exam. Am I going to focus on the 1,200 people who are there or the 100 people who are kind of, you know, like don't like gay people and are outside? I'll focus on the 1,200, and I, I don't really pay attention to the 100. But so. it is easy for people to dwell on, like, the 100, sure. right? You know, it is. And I mean, I think in another world, maybe I would dwell on that, but I know that that's not where the, that's not where the good spirit is. You know, I mean, Jesus is always dealing with Pharisees and scribes and he answers them and kind of puts them in his, their place and then he moves on, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, today's gospel reading is Jesus saying that, you know, he's, he's moving on. He's not like, he, he's not sort of engaging these people. And so that's, part of it is cultivating that sense of um, freedom. I mean, that's, that's really the Jesuit Hallmark, you're talking about Pope Francis. He's a very free guy, and that's kind of what I strive for. I do believe it was Ignatius who said, uh, my haters are my motivators. That's, that's Ignatius, that's yeah. right, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Him or, Chance, him or Chance the Rapper. One of the two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I get those, those two confused I, I, all the time. I get them very confused, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a statue of one of them outside somewhere, yeah. <laughs> if Zach has his way, they'll be both. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, so, sorry, this is going to be like kind of literal, but you talk about feeling the presence of God. And you've talked about how when you're praying about uh, doing this activism on, on behalf of the LGBT community, you, you felt like Jesus was saying, like, this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. What, what does it feel like to have Jesus? Like, how do you know? How well, do you know right, it's you Jesus get, or God? You want me to get personal? Yes. All yes. right, I'll get personal. All right. I was on retreat last summer. And my spiritual director said to me, I want you to imagine Jesus walking with you. And now normally I imagine Jesus. I don't actually walk, physically walk with Jesus. And I said, all right, fine, I'll try something new. And I got to the point where I sort of imagined him and it felt almost like this presence when I sort of visualized him. And this is a little personal, but um, I said to Jesus, I don't normally pray about my books. I don't even know if I've told you this in person. Uh, but I, the LGBT book was on my mind. And I said to Jesus as we're walking, this was at a retreat house in Boston, is there anything you'd like to say about the book? And he embraced me and kissed me on the cheek. And it was this sense of just like, he, he, in my prayer, he was just so happy and happy that I brought it up and happy for the book. And then we sat down on a bench and I said to him, uh, these attacks are, you know, kind of distracting. And he said to me, I remember it for the rest of my life, does any of that matter? And I said, no. And I got up and I thought, what more do I need? You know, so what, I mean, you know, so I have all the support and then I have the spiritual support of Jesus who seems to be um, at least, you know, on, on my side in terms of that. So what more do I need? I go back to that all the time. You know, yeah. that's the first time I've been a Jesuit 30 years. That is the first time that I've imagined walking with Jesus. Certainly the first time that he's ever kissed me. 
I mean, that was really surprising. And so how do I know it's Jesus? Um, because as one of my directors said, because it lasts, mm. you know, it, 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 it lasts, it sticks. Uh, it was shocking. Um, it was something I couldn't have sort of made up. I wasn't like saying, oh, no, Jesus is going to do something to me. And it just made sense, you know, and why wouldn't Jesus want to help LGBT people? So, yeah, so that really kind of has consoled me and really kind of carried me through. Thank you for being so open with yeah, us. Yeah. Well, yeah, sharing. you know, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm in a Jesuit university, right? So We're among, right. among friends. Safe space. And, and, then, and then Jesus yeah. said to me, go Ramblers. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't say that. But he did, he did embrace me, which was really great and surprising. And I, you know, I always say to people, when they say, how do I know if it's God? Uh, and it's something I read in a book recently, and it said, God's voice has the ring of authenticity. It just feels right. And you just can kind of sense it. And after 30 years as a Jesuit, I think I can sort of say, what really is God's voice? And that really was a very powerful moment for me and, and just wonderful. And it's kind of consoled me and kept me going ever since. And when I see these haters, what is that next to Jesus? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... Do you That's what I want to stand with. Do you think that your consistency in the examine and in your prayer life helps you see moments like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that does, and it prepares you. The other thing is that someone told me uh, as a young Jesuit, if you don't do the prayer regularly, you're not going to have the space for those kind of moments. So for the example of like, you know, you go out to your friend with Moody's, if you never, ever go out to your friend with your friends and you never or you aren't on a regular basis, you're not going to have that space for really beautiful things to happen, right? So yeah, so that doesn't mean that, that those kind of prayer experiences are rare, as anyone yeah. will tell you. And it doesn't happen all the time. You know, last time I examined was, you know, I fell asleep. But you have to show up for that kind of stuff to happen. Yeah. And for, I mean, that's true for Jesuits, but also for lay people, oh, right? Sure. Like, oh, so yeah. like you, you, noticing patterns, I think has been yep. like a big thing I, that I've noticed even in the short time I've been trying to do this. Um, what kind of patterns? Uh, things that like, that give me joy, things that give me anxieties, um, different types of interactions with people, um, things that the way I even interact with people on a subway car or the way, yep. you know, just little things that I don't really think about, but it's like, oh, you, uh, you kind of like have not given up your seat to anyone yeah. for like a, a week. Well, right. And if you, if that happens over and over and over again, or you say, wow, I've been, I've noticed that every day I notice God in, you know, the Lake Michigan, right? I've just, and, and you're like, next time you see Lake Michigan, you will, you will see that as an occasion to, to kind of meet God. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the more you do it, the more it's like any, you know, they, they call them exercises for a reason. The, the better you get, the more limber you get, the stronger you get, the more flexible you get. So absolutely. Yeah. The spiritual just, exercises that is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, keep doing it. Yeah, so we talked about uh, our favorite Pope Francis moments. So I, we thought we would give you a chance if there was something from the past five years that stuck out. Yeah, I was thinking about that. In fact, when Zach said Evangelicatum, I was like, wow, that's pretty sophisticated. You know? <laughs> well, it is that loyal education. Yeah, I know it is, yes. <laughs> And the words, uh, I also thought when even in Evangelium Gallium, where he said in the footnote where it says go Ramblers, that was really. That's my favorite footnote. It's kind of unexpected. As, 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 as Ashley was saying, very unexpected. Yeah. Yes. You know? Blunt. Um, no, mine is not that sophisticated. Mine was when he embraced that man with the disfiguring skin condition, Andrea Vic, Vinci, Vicino, I think, uh, in St. Peter's. I just found that incredibly powerful. And it, it said so much about who he was. You know, as they said about Jesus, his words um, gave meaning to his deeds and his deeds gave meaning to his words. Pope Francis doesn't just talk about 
embracing the marginalized, he, he literally does it. And I just thought that gesture, you know, as a, as a Jesuit and as a priest, if someone said to me, someone with that condition is going to be in front of you, might prepare yourself for it, but he didn't need to be prepared for it. He just did it. And it also called to mind, you know, Francis of Assisi, right? You know, mm -hmm. sort of encountering the leper and Jesus. And I just, I just, it's, there's something about that image that it's kind of hard to look at too. That poor guy has, you know, this, this terrible skin condition. And that's something about it too. It's not a pretty picture in a sense. I just loved it. And I thought that's probably what Jesus did and, and the sort of um, uh, freedom to be able to do that spontaneously really yeah. moved me. That's the part that, that shocked me. He just was able to do that because he's so free and so, so prayerful. And you're right, he's not perfect, I agree. Sex abuse, he's not good on. I don't think he's particularly great on women either. But on that kind of stuff, he's right where I think we should be. Amen. All right. All right, Jim. So you know the deal. <laughs> Our last question. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be? And and I'll remind you, your previous three. Yes, I know. Yes, so one of them I got into Grammick. trouble. Yeah, yeah okay. that one. Pedro Rupe and Jean Vanier. Yeah, so I guess Ashley McKinless and Pedro <laughs> and Zach Davis are not possible now. No. Gee, I would say anyone living or dead, oh... I didn't say Greg Boyle yet, didn't I? No. Yeah, Greg Boyle. Yeah. So who's Greg Boyle? It sounds Greg like people Boyle, know who yeah. he is, but... That's right, he's a freshman at Loyola. Um, <laughs> he's so holy. Um, Greg Boyle is the founder of Homeboy Industries, uh, which is a, a, a ministry that helps uh, former gang members kind of get back on track. And I will say that he is... He, he would be... He's a friend of mine, and I saw him just at the LA Congress last week, the Religious Ed Congress. He's a living saint, period. There are a couple of people that are walking around that are living saints. Jean Vanier, Helen Prejean, uh, Greg Boyle. I think Pope Francis too. And I think Greg Boyle is just a fantastic person. If you haven't read Tattoos on the Heart, his book, and his new book with uh, not a great title, Barking to the Choir. No. <laughs> Did you tell him it was not, not a, a great fan title? Of that title. <laughs> Two, like, I was like, I don't get it. Uh, but I guess, you know, it, he, he's an amazing person. So get to know him. He's, there's a lot of videos of him uh, online, and he's uh, my St. Greg Boyle. Pray Saint. for us. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen. Jim, thank you so much. My yeah. pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. Uh, what do you have, Zach? Yeah, so this is just like our attempt, as I said earlier, at faith sharing um, to try and do the things that Jim was talking about, uh, looking for the patterns where God is moving us, um, either we're moving towards God or away from God. Um, so mine, I'm going to start with a consolation. Uh, one of the things that can be troubling when you leave uh, a community like this at Loyola, where you have a really strong faith community, you have a beautiful chapel, you have a, uh, a vibrant liturgy, um, a, a supportive community. Um, once you leave that, uh, it can be tough to find something like that again. Um, and so I have found that, it took me a little while to find that in New York. Um, and I, and I do have one now, but, uh, my parents were, my mom and sister were in town last weekend. And so we were, um, not near my normal parish. So we had to just kind of go to a rando parish, hit up masstimes.org, figured out where the 5:30 <laughs> was. Um, 
I walked in and it was a gorgeous church and it was empty. Uh, everyone had kind of had like a pew to themselves, like a row of pews to themselves. Um, and people were uh, mumbling the responses. You couldn't hear, you couldn't hear the priest. Um, and that can be like an intimate experience for some people. But for me, it's just agitating. I'm like furious the whole time. I'm like, what, like trying to like, I want to wake everyone up. Um, and in the past, I've let that agitation really eat at me and sort of block my communion with God. Um, but this time I, uh, I was like, okay, what is this agitation? Uh, where's it coming from? I, I should talk to God about this. And I didn't get the sense that it wasn't the voice of God, right? So I don't know what God wants me to do with that agitation, um, but I know I don't have to feel bad about it. I know I don't have to um, feel shameful about it. Um, and so that's where I'm gonna be praying with next week is being able to feel consoled in a moment of agitation is a weird experience, um, but that's sort of the nature of consolations, I think, sometimes. Yeah. All right, what do you got, Olga? I've got a desolation this week. Um, so I have mentioned, if you guys haven't heard uh, on previous episodes, I went to the Holy Land with Father James Martin and I came back and I was like, oh my God, I'm ready to be this fantastic Catholic. I got all the answers. I'm gonna do this right every single day. Um, and then this week we, we cover a lot of media, um, and kind of seeing what's been happening with the lives that were lost in Austin and the unarmed black man that was killed in California, uh, I believe in California, um, dealing with that has really been difficult for me as a person of color, number one. Um, but just trying to ask myself, I keep falling into this like really negative, anxious and fearful place where I'm like, why would God allow something like this to happen? You know, and I have a black father, I have a black boyfriend, and I'm just like this entire week, it's been very difficult for me to be like, are they gonna be okay getting home? You know, like, is this the last time I'm gonna see them? And even in conversations with my co-host, with my producer and Father Alexandra, I still haven't been able to pull myself out of that anxiety and out of that fear. Um, and it's just been really desolating to be in that space, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I'm, I'm having a very difficult time with that and trying to like process that God is in all of the things in our lives, but I'm having a very difficult time finding him in this moment, you know? Um, so that's my desolation for this week. Yeah. Ashley, what do you got? Um, I have a consolation. Uh, anyone who has listened to this show or spoken to me for five minutes knows I love my mom and talk about her constantly because she's like this great Catholic woman. Um, but this week we celebrated the feast of St. Joseph and I was like reading old America magazine articles about St. Joseph. Um, and it really struck me that I'd never thought about my own father as an influence on my faith. Um, He's Protestant. That's, you know, (laughs) I've never had a problem with that. But like when I've been in mostly Catholic spaces, it's made sense to think about my mom and her influence. Um, And so on Monday, I was just thinking about my dad and the fact that when I was little, even though he wasn't Catholic, he was at mass every single week. And even when my mom was out of town, he was taking us to mass every single week. Um, And so the consolation was realizing that, that God was present and working in my dad this entire time. And I had never really stopped um, and thought about that. Um, and so I just felt so grateful in that moment um, um, to see that. And we'll, we'll, you know, hopefully my dad will be listening to this. But I'll, tell him, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him in person too, because, because he really has been so formative uh, for me and helping me to see not only that he was, you know, not only can I look to my dad for, you know, 
support in my faith, but outside of the Catholic community. Um, so, so that was my consolation this week. Nice. Yeah, so the way Q&A is going to work, um, again, we can talk about anything um, that we talk about on the show or whatever's on your mind, I guess. Um, so if you just raise your hand, I'll call on you and then we'll, we'll repeat your question into the mic. Sound good? Cool. Hmm, so th- the question is, uh, how is the church going to build uh, excitement and energy and engagement uh, outside of online surveys and things leading up to the Synod on Youth? Well, I think one thing it's trying to do, so this week, uh, 300 young people went to the Vatican um, to have their own kind of mini young person synod. Uh, one of someone who's been on Jesuitical, Nicole Perrone, um, she was there. Um, and I think it, what they're trying to do, it, they're going to put out their own kind of like exhortation from this meeting. So it's going to be young people talking to young people, which I think is new. I think usually Mm -hmm. it is often, you know, like uh, Vatican officials trying to talk to the youths and they don't really, (laughs) it doesn't translate quite right. Um, So the fact that they are actually bringing young people and then letting those young people be the ones to communicate on behalf of the Vatican is new. I, I don't think it's guaranteed work because anytime you say the word synod, people tend to fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Murphy. So if religion isn't a draw for millennials, what competes for their time and their energy? Where are they finding the things that religion used to give people? I think one answer, which is both gives me hope, but I think, you know, I would want them young people to go beyond this is, is social justice. Something that a lot of, you know, young Catholics yeah. care about as well, but a lot of, nuns um, are also... N-O-N-E-S. Yes, yes. Um, I think, you know, if you look at, like, the the Dreamers and Black Lives Matter, um, there are a lot of young people there who are very much committed to a cause um, and, in your words, like, an absolutizing way. Um, And and we shouldn't discount that because it's not religious activism. Um, But I do think there's, I think something is lost when religion is not incorporated into movements like this. Um, what do you think, Olga? I know you've I think, on this. honestly, and I think this has been a cliche at this point, but social media, like really people want community and social media, we've talked about this on the show before, it is super helpful. Like for movements like Black Lives Matter, people all over the world can connect to each other. Um, but I think it takes away the person to person that you can find in religious spaces, the kind of person to person that we find doing this podcast weekly. And, uh, so like just social media, Netflix, all these like digital spaces, but also there are real spaces where millennials are going. Like if you join a gym, they know your name. They keep track of how often you go. If you don't go, they send you an email and say, Hey, we have, we know you haven't been here in a while. You start to recognize people um, in the church. It doesn't do any of that basically. Uh, especially like, so if you are a young person who's trying to get involved, um, I'm very worried about the parish model. Um, both as it relates to young people, but in the fu- in how it relates to young people means how it's going to survive in the future. Um, it was good for a while. It got, it, you know, it helped build, uh, especially immigrant communities. Um, I don't know how useful it is now to have all these nearly dead half open parishes. Um, 
that aren't reaching out, that aren't going outward, um, that aren't trying to bring young people in and form communities. It, the, it's an exception to the rule if you find a dynamic parish that you can feel involved in. In, in Chicago, you know, the, you know the three that are outside of Loyola where you can go if you're a young adult and feel like maybe you'll have some type of community. Um, so I think that's, I'm worried about that. I don't know what the future is, um, but I think it's something we have to talk about as a church. So the question is, how have our faith lives, like how they transitioned from college to sort of our professional lives? Um, well, for me, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. I've gone to Catholic high school my whole life. So going to church was something that I did with school. My mom forced me to go to mass every Sunday. Then I went, I went to Fordham University in the Bronx. Then I got to college and no one was holding me accountable. So I was like, okay, I don't have to do this anymore. Um, but then working at America, working with these guys forced me to start craving that again and it's forced me to move more much more deeply into my faith so for me I went from not having it in college to having it more like fruitfully as in in my 20s yeah so I left Loyola um moved to New York and I was in a sort of unique situation where I was working with Jesuits and I was sort of swimming in that world but also very much craving I I knew I needed something else Otherwise, uh, you know, you, it, and I noticed this when I was studying here too, if you're studying theology, you can trick yourself into thinking you don't need to pray because you're reading theology books. Um, I knew, I know I needed some type of spirituality outside of work. Um, and it's hard. Uh, I did a lot of parish shopping. Um, I, and that's the thing you just got to do. You got to work for it. Take, take ownership of it. Like it's yours. Don't let anyone get in the way between the things that you need. And if it's not there, this is something I think like, we complain about a lot as young adults is like, oh, the, my parish doesn't have X or Y or it, it sucks. Like go start it if it's not there, right? You got all these skills at a community like this. Like it's your turn to go bring that and bring other people in. Um, that's, that's the hard thing that I don't think we talk about enough because um, we are equipped. We, we, we come here, we are prepared to lead extraordinary lives. And so let's go do it, right? <laughs> I would say, do you have any? Oh, well, I, I went to a mere public school. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We let you on this show somehow. <laughs> um, no, so I, I mean, I I found, I grew I was, you know, cradle Catholic, CCD, all that, but never really cared about it until I got to uh, University of Virginia and just, it was, I had to make a decision. Was I going to keep going to mass every week or was I going to give it up? And I, for some reason, probably because my roommate was also Catholic, I kept going to mass and slowly gained ownership of it. Um, and I'm going to quibble with Zach. I don't think the parish model is we should give up on it yet. I think, um, I don't know. I think there's something important about kind of the arbitrary, arbitrariness. It's arbitrary. Like you're thrown in with people that you might not naturally associate with. And I think that's important. I think if we're just like going to have like online church communities where like you're just with your fellow social justice Catholics or your pro-life Catholics or whatever. Like I want, I want a mix of everything. And I've feel like I found that, uh, we go to the same parish in Brooklyn and I know we're lucky to live in a city with a lot of options, but I think, I don't know. That's, I've, I find a lot of life in the parish model. Um, because every week I, I see people who don't look like me. Um, and I think that's important to, uh, not, not become too complacent in your faith life. Yeah. It is easy to make an echo chamber. Like both on your social yeah, life. Yeah, like do you really want to like a Facebook, Twitter model for church? No, <laughs> but I want to evangelize Facebook and Twitter and make them more Catholic <laughs> and vice versa. This know. is true. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Uh, so the question is, uh, how do you leave sort of like a, a community of Catholics where it's very normal and like it's cool to be Catholic and be dropped into the secular world where mm. you might be the dun, only dun, Catholic dun. in your friend group? <laughs> Um, well, to be honest, I find myself, I have a friend of group, I have a group of secular friends and I have a group of Christian friends and they don't, they mix, but they don't like talking about religion. So I think I'm trying to learn how to navigate both those. But right now I'm just, I I do have two very separate secular and Christian lives. What about you guys? I've always, not always, but I've often been like the one Catholic person uh, at a party or at a bar in a friend group. Um, and I, I have a lot of fun with it. Like once people have had a few drinks and I feel like they're open to listening, I'm just like, you guys, Pope Francis, right? <laughs> well, that's, a th- that's the thing. Pope, Fr- Pope Francis actually has made it so much yeah, easier he, to he be really Catholic really in, a, in a group of strangers. Yeah. Like I have my friends who are completely not religious who are like, did you see this really cool thing that Pope Francis did? And I'm yeah. like, yes guys like I literally work in this so yeah I I think he has made it like more it's publicly acceptable to be Catholic Mm -hmm. but I was doing this in college before Pope Francis yeah I was not driving Pope Benedict no (laughs) no offense I love him um um, but no I, I don't know I think people will surprise you with their openness to talking about these sort of things I found that I was like a month ago, I was visiting a friend in Boston um, and this guy was like, Tatiana, you're perfect. Like you never do anything wrong. And she was like getting embarrassed because she was like, she didn't want to like say that she's done anything wrong, but she knows she's not perfect. And so I just like got on this like soapbox talking about like how sin isn't breaking the rules, but it's like not being your full flourishing self. And I was just like, so I don't know. I just say like embrace being Catholic and weird and go for it. I do think that people are like, as Ashley said, open to hearing about it because there is a spiritual hunger still. God is still at work in people's lives and there's not a lot of spaces where they can talk about it. And so maybe you've noticed this if you are a theology major. I, I noticed this here. You'd go out and like, you'd be waiting for a friend and the bartender says, oh, what do you do? And I was like, I was like, oh, I work at a Catholic magazine. And he's like, here's everything I think about organized religion and God and... <laughs> Because they don't, I mean, they don't have spaces to talk about that anymore. It's not really acceptable to do it at dinner parties or bars or podcasts. Um, <laughs> so trying to like be open to that, to those conversations when they come up, just be a normal person also. It's like Catholics are normal yeah. people. Like, uh, so it's just be true. yourself um, and people are going to like you or they're not. Um, and the, the best thing about, I think Jesus said, you don't have to spend time with people who you don't like. So you have to love all of them, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but being open to people's questions, to people's curiosity um, is big. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, so thank you guys so much. We are going to be, we'll be here after the show. If you need a a podcast tutorial, how to download a free podcast. um, Free. We're not even, we're not, we're not joking. We'll show you how it's not super intuitive. Um, So thank you for coming. Thank you to Dr. Murphy. Thank you to the Hank Center. Thank you to Loyola. Thank you to you. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering and design provided by Angelo Jesus Canta. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. 
and send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. Huge thanks this week to the Hank Center at Loyola University Chicago for hosting Jesuitical um, and to Professor Mike Murphy. Uh, it has been a pleasure to be here. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.